Well, it is great to be back with you guys this weekend. And before we jump into our message, uh, I want to let you know that this Thursday night is our annual men's night. Now, we get together on a Thursday night once a year. Last year, we had over 900 men. I mean, we eat barbecue, and we have a time, and you're going to have four incredible sessions. It's only $25. Last year, as I said, we had 900 men. I'm hoping that we'll have 1,000 men coming from all of our campuses this Thursday night. You need to be here. In fact, I'm going to kick it off at 630 by talking about how to love your wife, right? And ladies, you ought to make your husband come. I'm telling you, it's in your best interest to kick him out of the house Thursday night and get him here. It is testosterone city. There's no estrogen within a mile of this place. I'm telling you, guys, you want to be here. We're going to have a great time. I hope you'll check it out on Thursday night. All of our campuses, we have a great time of worship together. Four great sessions. Starts at 530, registration and dinner. Have you out by nine o'clock. You do not want to miss it. Now, this weekend, we are continuing our series that we're calling Seven. It's based on the seven deadly sins, uh, things that prohibit us from living and experience the life that God designed for us to live and to experience. And so far, uh, we've cover, covered a couple of these sins. We talked about greed the very first week, and we said the only thing that really can break the greed in our life is generosity. And you may remember we talked about a story from Matthew about a man who had a big donkey and a little donkey, right? And he let Jesus use those donkeys, and he is now written in to the gospel story. And when we're generous for the things of God, he writes us into his story. And I, and I issued an invitation. I said, man, if you feel like you have the gift of giving, the gift of generosity. You're actually looking for places to give. I'm going to host a breakfast. We're going to have it February the 9th. So far, 156 people have emailed me and said, I want to be a part of that. But just in case you haven't yet, just email us at giving at gethope.net. You'll get an invitation. And I'm going to share with you some things that are going on behind the scene that may be of interest to you. That was cool. We also mentioned that week that we had a couple, remember the husband who needed a kidney? So far we've had 62 people who are going through testing and through the process of being able to donate that kidney. That's Hope Community Church. That's generosity at a whole nother level. But we talked about that. And then last week I made Donnie talk about gluttony. And I think he did a great job because honestly you're looking better already, okay? So we've talked about those. But this week we're gonna talk about the topic of pride. And it's interesting, uh, Webster defines pride as an inordinate amount of self-esteem. And if you don't like the way that sounds, you're probably not going to like the synonyms either. Egotism, vanity, conceit, selfishness, and arrogant. And we don't like those words, but the reality is every one of us here this weekend, whatever campus you're at, we're all struggling with pride. And when we talk about pride, I know what some of you are thinking, but my, my mama told me that I, I was supposed to have a good self-esteem. Mama told me that I'm supposed to have confidence. Aren't we supposed to have pride in ourselves? That's what my mom said. And, and yes, the answer to that is yes. It is yes. After all, we are created in the image of God. How cool is that? The psalmist tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And see, God doesn't make junk. So we ought to take pride in ourselves if our reasons are God-driven. And that would include us being able to see ourselves as God sees us. That would include us doing the things that God has called us to do with our lives and then making sure he gets the credit for what we accomplish. But the minute that we take our eyes off of God, we put our eyes on ourselves. the minute we begin to take credit for what's going on and how God is using us, see, pride rears its ugly head in our lives. And I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing you that pride is a bad thing. We don't like proudful people. We avoid people that are pride. In fact, what do we say? Pride comes before the, let's say it one more time. Pride comes before the, 
That's actually not what it says. I just kind of set you up. The verse is actually Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, and this is what it said. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before the fall. So do you know what Solomon was saying there? Say, if you don't get a grip on your pride, it is going to destroy you. It is going to take you down. It's going to lead to destruction. I don't think I need to focus a whole lot on that. We already know that, but I do want to spend some time convincing you why it is so important as Christians, if we're going to experience the life that God wants us to experience, why it is so important that we deal with our pride. And I want to begin by looking at what may be one of our favorite verses in the Bible as Christians. In fact, my guess is outside of John 3, 16, maybe one of the most familiar verses, uh, maybe more life verses uh, come out of this passage than any other life verse. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Look at this. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is basically what Jeremiah 29, verse 11 is saying. It's saying that every person has a calling and a purpose from God. Let me say that again. Every Christian, every person, everyone who's responded to the gospel has a calling and a purpose from God. Let me say it another way. Every Christian has a dream and every Christian has a destiny. You have a dream. Maybe the dream in some ways has died, but I'm telling you, you've got a dream in your life. Here's the problem. Most people will never actually reach or experience the destiny. They will die with it just being a dream. So this weekend, I want us to see from the life of Joseph that God gave him a dream. God gave him a calling when he was only 17 years old. When he was 30 years old, he stepped into the role of beginning to fulfill his destiny. But this is what I want you to see. In order for Joseph to fulfill his destiny, the purpose, the plan, the future that God had for him, guess what he had to deal with? He had to deal with his pride. And again, this is important because many of us, we will never fulfill our destiny. We will never fulfill our purpose and our future that God has designed for us. And what will prohibit us from doing it will be our pride. So let's look into the life of Joseph. I want you to see how he had to deal with his pride. And if you're sitting here thinking, wow, I don't think I really need this. Okay, you especially need this. Okay, so make sure, make sure you're listening, okay? So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 37, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. Let's pick up the story. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, there you go, he's our star, was tending the flocks with his brothers. Now notice this, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Notice that's plural. Now let me give you a little bit of background about this dysfunctional family, okay? Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter, okay? He had 13 children from four different women. He had two wives, one's name was Leah. She had six sons and one daughter. He had another wife, her name was Rachel. She had two children, their names were Joseph, the star of our story, the other brother was Benjamin. And then they each, these wives, each had a maidservant. One's name was Bilhah, one's name was Zilpah. Sounds like the clowns you had at your kid's birthday party, right? But they each had two sons from Jacob. My point is this, Jacob was a player, okay, he was a player, right? So Jacob has 12 sons from four different women. These are all his children, but I want you to remember, 
these are stepbrothers. These are half-brothers. These are 12 boys from four different moms, so it's not too hard to imagine the rivalry and the competition that must have been taking place within the ranks of these 12 boys, right? In fact, you read in chapter 37, verse 2, and he, and that's a reference to Joseph, brought their father a bad report about them. Now, that tells us something about Joseph. It tells us that at the age of 17, Joseph was a tattletale. Joseph was a snitch. And nobody likes a tattletale. Look at what it says in verse 3. Now Israel, and that's just another name of Jacob. In fact, these 12 boys, these 12 sons of Jacob, will eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. So here he's called Israel, but his name is Jacob. Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. In other words, he had a special place in his heart. And this is the part of the story we all know. He made an ornate robe for him. He made him a beautiful robe. Maybe if you went to Baptist Sunday school, it was called a coat of many colors. Now understand, the boys know that daddy's got a pet. The boys know that there's a favorite in the family. And not only do the boys know that, Jacob doesn't even try to hide it. This is a very, very dysfunctional family. And I'm going to do a family series probably after Easter. We'll probably talk about this dysfunctional family, right? Verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. We can get that. We understand that. And could not speak a kind word to him. So we learn early on in the story that Joseph's brothers hate him. They already hate him, okay? Now, if that's not enough, verse 5, <clears throat> Joseph had a dream. He had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So Joseph has a dream. He wakes up one morning, grabs a cup of coffee at Starbucks, puts on his beautiful ornate robe of many colors, calls his brothers in, says, boys, sit down. I want to tell you something. Now, remember, he's the youngest. These are all older brothers. And he says in verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That's probably the kind of thing you want to keep to yourself. <clears throat> That's probably the kind of thing you don't want to tell your older brothers. That one day I had this dream and you guys are going to bow down to me. Verse 8, his brother said to him, let us clarify. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, let's not be too tough on Joseph. Because a lot of us here, we've been 17. And maybe worse, you have a 17-year-old. And you know they're a know-it-all. And you know you can't tell them anything. And you know they're obnoxious. In fact, parents come up to me all the time and say, oh, I just, my kids are so cute. They're so sweet, they're so adorable. I, it, it makes me cry when I think that one day they're going to grow up and leave home. Uh-uh, you're going to be fine. <laughs> See, God, God said, I got that. I'll create 17. You can't get rid of them fast enough at 17. Like, go, wherever you want to go, go, right, 17. So Joseph's 17. Let's not to be too hard on Joseph. But he has another dream. So he's not even through verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, whoa, Joseph, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I 
and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father didn't deal with it. He just kept the matter in mind. Now, this is what I want you to understand as we get into this story. Joseph had a dream, and this dream was from God. But how Joseph handled the dream, the pride, the bragging about the dream, wasn't from God. Now, let me tell you why I say that. As I said earlier, God has a dream for your life. And I'll let you in on a little secret. God's dream for your life will always be better than any dream you could possibly have for your own life. But God has a dream for your life. Now, here's a question you may want to think about. How can you know the dream that God has for your life? You ever thought about that? wonder what God's dream is for my life, right? If he has a purpose, if he has a calling on my life, I wonder what it is. Let me give you a couple of interesting verses that might help you. Psalm 103 verse 7 says this. He, and that's a reference to God, so let's put God's name there. God made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. This is what the verse is saying. The people of Israel knew about the deeds of God. They knew about his mighty acts. They knew about how God parted the Red Sea, got fresh drinking water out of a rock. They knew how God supplied manna from heaven so they would have food to eat in the desert. They knew all about the deeds of God, but it says that Moses knew God's ways. Big difference. How did Moses know God's way? One other verse, let me show it to you. Exodus 33, verse 11, this is what it says. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Do you know what that verse tells me? It tells me if you want to know God's dream for your life, you better get to know God. See, If you want to know God's dream for your life, you better spend some time getting to know the giver of the dream. This verse says that God spoke to Moses as a friend, and I know we read stuff from the Old Testament, we think, well, that's the Old Testament, that was God, that was Moses, that was a different dispensation, things were different back then, kind of weird things happened, there's even a story of a donkey talking in the Old Testament, right? But when you get to the New Testament, you get to John 15, 15, and this is what Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Let me tell you something. God has a dream for your life. Guess what? He wants to reveal it to you. He wants you to know it. God's not into cosmic hide and seek where you can't figure out what he wants. But if you want to know it, you're going to have to spend some time with him. You're going to have to get to know him. But this is what's interesting. When you finally discovered God's dream for your life, when you finally realize what God's calling is for your life, don't let the pride consume you. Don't, here's the second thing you need to know. Don't brag about the dream. You don't need to go around and tell everybody how God is going to use you or how God is using you. You don't need to tell people, this, wives are bad about this when it comes to their husband. You don't need to go around telling everybody how anointed your husband is. He might be annoying. You just think he's anointed. It's a big difference, right? Right. And I don't even know what that means. Gary Bett and I, what does that even mean? Every, oh, he's so anointed. What, I, we don't even know what that means. See, you don't need to worry about being anointed. You know what you need, you need to worry about? You need to worry about being faithful to what God has called you to do. First Corinthians chapter 4 says, man, you know what? It's required of a servant. It's required of a steward to be what? Just, just to be faithful. Now, God may give you influence, but your job is just to be faithful. So you go back to Genesis 37, verse 5, it says Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, look, they hated him all the more. Now understand, this is the pride test in Joseph's life. And he failed miserably. 
Actually, let me clarify. Let me take that back. With God, I don't think we ever actually fail a test. I just think we take the test over and over again until we pass it. See, that's how gracious God is. People talk to me all the time. I don't know why I keep going through this. I keep marrying the wrong person. I keep dating the wrong person. I keep ending up in the same place with my finest. Why does this keep happening to me? Well, maybe because you haven't learned anything. Maybe because you keep having to retake the test because you're not learning the lesson that God needs you to learn, right? See, I don't think God puts an F at the top of the paper. I think he writes retake. I think when you fail, he's going to give you another chance. See, but my point is this. When God gives us the dream, when we understand his calling on our life, we got to keep our pride in check. It's not our job to go around bragging about how God is going to use us. You can't talk about it, but for some of you not to brag, see, you would, you would have to stop talking. And we love to brag because at the end of the day, we have pride in our hearts. And it's going to come out. I mean, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, you brood of vipers, and he's talking to the religious leaders. He said, how can you who are evil say anything good? Notice this next phrase, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Often people will sit in my office and I'll question them about things if I'm in a counseling situation. And, and, and often if, 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 if I kind of paint them into a corner, they'll say something like, you don't know what's in my heart. And I'm like, well, actually I do. All I have to do is listen to you talk. I can tell by what you say what's really in your heart, right? And the reason we brag is because we have pride in our hearts. Now, I, I point this out because this, this is what you got to understand. we got to deal with our hearts. You know, we talked about this in our, in our voice series, right? We don't have to deal with our tongue. We have to deal with our hearts. Let me tell you what I know about pride. Pride always has a voice. Pride always wants to be heard. Pride always has an opinion. Pride always wants to express its displeasure on Facebook. You know people like that? They just have got to make their statement. I'm telling you, that's pride. By the way, as I was getting, working on this message, and this is the truth, I had a totally different message on pride till this past Monday. But I've been doing this story on Joseph, so I chunked that one, and I went to work on this one. So if this was a horrible message, I didn't have much time on it. But let me... I noticed something I told Laura, I was talking to Laura today, I noticed something in this story that I'd never seen, and I have studied the life of Joseph, I have preached the life of Joseph, I had never seen it before until I was working on this message. As we saw earlier, at the age of 17, Joseph was already a snitch. Okay, he was already a tattletale, right? But then he had his dream. So he already had a problem with his mouth, which means he already had a problem with his heart. Then God gives him the dream, and his dream is, my brothers are going to bow down to me. In fact, mom and dad, you're going to bow down to me. This is what I want you to understand. That was not Joseph's destiny. Understand, his purpose on this earth wasn't to get his family to bow down to him. If you know the story, his purpose, his destiny was eventually, God was going to take him on a, a crazy journey. And I may do a whole series of there's like seven or eight things that Joseph had bridges he had to cross over to get to his destiny I'm not thinking about doing a series in the fall about it it's, it's crazy stuff but as God took him on this journey his destiny was to eventually be the prime minister of Egypt which meant that he was going to be second in command to the most powerful person in any country on the planet at that time 
And his purpose, his destiny, was to be in that position so that he could store up grain so that eventually hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people are going to be saved because there's going to be a seven-year famine. Now, here's the question. Why didn't God give Joseph a dream about saving hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people? Why did he give him a dream about your brothers and your mom and dad are going to bow down to you? We know that's later on a part of the story. But why didn't he give him the dream of the destiny, right? I think there's a couple of practical reasons. First of all, when we're immature, or maybe when we're young Christians, to be honest, helping a lot of people is not what really motivates us. It's not what gets us out of bed in the morning. I mean, just because we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior doesn't automatically change our values, our priorities in life. You know, it says in Romans chapter 8, we're in the process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, God wants to take us on a journey where our character begins to match the character of Jesus. That's a journey. I mean, I've been saved since I was five. I'm still on the journey, right? It tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's a journey. It takes a long time to start living your life by the lies you believed before you met Jesus and adapting your life to the truth of God's word that'll set you free. That's a journey. So your priorities and your values don't change overnight. And since we're still immature in our faith at the very beginning, see, what motivates us is not necessarily, you know, we're going to help a lot of people one day. You know what motivates us when we're young in our faith? The same thing that motivated us before we had faith in Jesus. Hey, one day I'll be well known. One day maybe I'll have lots of power. One day maybe I'll be very successful. One day I hope to have a lot of money. My point is simply this. You may have a dream about being great one day. But being great one day, or having a lot of money one day, or being successful one day is not God's purpose. It's not God's destiny for your life. I can tell you right now what God's purpose and destiny is. It is for our lives in some way to impact, to connect, to help, to serve, invest in the lives of other people. But I'll be honest with you. If you struggle with the sin of pride, you're not interested in that. In fact, this is what I know about you. You feel you're above that. You probably have the attitude that's like, Mike, listen, I don't serve people. You don't, obviously, you don't know how important I am. I, I don't serve people. People serve me. So I don't serve in Kid City and minister to other people's children. They serve and minister to my children. I'm not going to wear one of those ugly orange vests and work in the parking lot and keep the chaos down. They serve me. See, that's the way we are. I got, we had so many serving needs at Hope Community Church. I mean, you know, you know what it takes just to open the doors on the weekend? And if we had to pay people to do it, are you kidding me? I mean, first impression, Kid City, Student Ministries, tech team. I mean, running lights and sound and all those fun things. You know, all those things need to be done. But most people walk in and walk out like, yeah, somebody else will do it. And this is what I tell people. Look to the person on your right. Go ahead, do it. Now look to the person on your left. All right, they're probably not going to do it. Who's that leave? See? But most of us are like the disciples. You know, the disciples, they, they, they weren't into serving. I mean, they spent three years with Jesus. I mean, they didn't get it. They were still arguing about because they still thought Jesus was going to overthrow Rome, set up a kingdom, right? Who's going to be in his cabinet, hold key positions, right? So Jesus overhears them. This is what he says, Matthew 20, verse 25. Hey, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. And this is what's interesting. Jesus doesn't say that's wrong. He just says, that's the way it is out there in the world. But in here, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And Jesus like dropped the mic, right? So here's my point. The disciples, after spending three years with Jesus, if they didn't get this idea of serving and impacting, I'm not surprised that Joseph wouldn't understand that at 17. So maybe, maybe, maybe God didn't give him this dream of you're going to be the prime minister. You're going to impact millions of life just because maybe he was at the place where he, he wouldn't even care, right? But second, and I think this may be it, God may have given Joseph this dream because it revealed what was really in his heart. And what was really in his heart was pride. Hey, guys, you're going to bow down to me. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that God has given you a dream, but it's not related to your destiny? Is it possible that God has given you a dream and he's, do, he's using that dream to work some things out in your life so that eventually you can fulfill the ultimate destiny that he has for you. Trust me on this. If you're not humble enough to handle the dream, you're not humble enough to handle the destiny. See, if you can't handle the dream because of your pride, I will promise you this, your destiny will destroy you because of your pride. And so I think sometimes God gives us a dream to bring our pride to the surface. It's kind of like when they're refining gold. What do they do? They, they heat it up and, and it becomes a liquid and all the dross and the impurities come to the top and they skim it off, right? So sometimes I think God gives us a dream just to get all the junk in our lives to the surface so he can get it out of our lives so that we'll actually be in a position, we'll be pure enough to handle the destiny that he has for us. But for that to happen, and here's the third thing I want to tell you this weekend. You got to deal with the root of your pride. You got to deal with it. Let me just ask you guys a question. How many, how many of you would be honest enough to say about lifting your hand at some point in your life, sometime in your life, you've had to deal with pride? Just raise your hand. Okay, if you don't have your hand up, you're dealing with pride right now. But anyway, um, okay. Another question. Honesty time. How many of you have had to deal with pride more than once? My hand's up. Raise your, yeah, yeah, see. Okay, do you know why? We never really dealt with our pride. See, we dealt with the fruit, but we didn't deal with the root. For example, maybe you realize, maybe, maybe people keep saying, you brag a lot. You, know, you toot your own horn a lot. You know, I got, I got some friends that, I don't care what we're talking about. It always comes back around to them. You got somebody like that, you know? You could be talking about aluminum siding, and they know more about aluminum siding than you could possibly know, right? I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is, right? So finally one day, people keep pointing that out. And you finally come to the conclusion, you know what? Maybe I brag too much. So this is what you decide. I'm just not going to talk as much. Well, here's the problem. You dealt with the fruit, but you didn't deal with the root. So how do you deal with the root of your pride? Well, let me tell you this. There's a lot of good stuff in this message. I hope you take note. Anyway, insecurity is the root of all pride. If pride is in your heart, insecurity is in your soul. See? So you know what happens? You know what that means? 
our souls have to be healed. We got to heal our souls. We offer all of these classes at Hope, and I want to take a second just to, because we all have damaged souls, and they have to be healed. Let me give you some examples. Re-engage. It's a class for marriage. Is your, your marriage doesn't even have to be on the rocks. I mean, Doug Stride, one of our campus pastors, I heard him say the other day, I think we're going to go to re-engage. I think it would just give us like a tune-up, like a refresher course. But is, is your soul damaged because your marriage isn't what you thought it was going to be? See, this is the kind of stuff, it's not going to fix itself. Never fixes itself. Here's another one, divorce care. Have you, have you, are you living in the backwash of a painful divorce? Maybe it was your fault, maybe it wasn't your fault. But we have a class for that. Here's another one, grieving with hope. Have you lost someone close to you? And you're trying to get through this and you're just kind of going to this dark place all by yourself instead of dealing with it? It's a great class, grieving with hope. Here's another one, living free. You got any, anything in your life that you would consider a life-controlling problem? Maybe substance abuse, maybe an eating disorder, maybe anger, maybe anxiety, maybe gambling, maybe your children. Are your children r- ruling your life? Are they controlling your life? Living free would be principles that help you get these things under control. Here's one, and it won't start till the fall. Men, have you been sexually abused, but you've never been able to process and work through it? Now, we don't want you to wait till the fall when the class starts. We have counseling available now, if you let us know. But see, you got to get your soul healed. you got to get mended. Here's another one, total forgiveness. Is there something in your life you just can't let it go, and it just, you, you just chain to it? Here's a class that can help you find some soul healing. Here's another one, waiting in hope. This is just for couples. Maybe you can't get pregnant. Maybe you're trying to adopt. You're going through all the process. You're just discouraged. Your soul is hurting. I mean, these are all classes. Overcome is another one. It deals with three enemies of our faith, the world, the flesh, and Satan. It's a spiritual warfare class. But these, these are available classes that you can take so that your soul can be healed. Because I'm telling you, as long as our souls are damaged, we're going to be insecure in our souls. And we're going to struggle with pride in our hearts. And let me tell you why this is so important. As you take this journey, God's going to take you on a journey from your dream to your destiny. He's got a dream. He's got a destiny for you. He's got plans for a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. As God takes you on this journey, guess what's going to happen? With every new challenge you come up against, you're going to have new insecurities. For example, have you ever been in a situation maybe where you work or something? I mean, you were in some kind of position. You were in your sweet spot. I mean, you had all the confidence in the world. You were clicking on all cylinders. You were thinking, man, this is what I was created for. And then one day they called you in, they gave you a promotion. And all of a sudden you're in a bigger office and you got a new responsibility and you're sitting there and you feel totally overwhelmed. You feel like you're in over your head. I have all of this insecurity because now you're in a situation that you've never been in before, right? Here's the challenge. You can't deal with your insecurities by becoming more confident in yourself. Because that's always going to lead to pride. As a Christian, there's only one way you deal with your insecurities. You know what it is? It's by becoming more confident in Jesus. I'll never forget, and when we were building this building here at the Raleigh campus, uh, for those of you who've never been here, watching at Apex, Morrisville, wherever, we met in the gym next door at Grace. And while we were in that gym, in in under three years, we grew from a church of 1,000 to 3,000. One day somebody put a magazine on my desk. Worst thing ever happened to him. It says, Hope Community Church, one of the fastest growing churches in America. Scared the bejeebies out of me. 
About that time, Laura and I went to Hawaii. It was our 25th anniversary, so we went to Hawaii. We're flying back, and as we're descending, the plane's descending into RDU, Laura says, something's wrong, what's going on? I said, nothing. She said, something's going on, what's going on? I said, for the first time, I'm not excited to be back. And she said, why? I said, baby, I'm in over my head. I didn't come here to pastor a big church. And it's grown to 3,000. We hadn't even moved in the new building yet. And I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know how to lead it. And I'm not, you know. So I had a friend, and he's, one, he's probably the smartest Christian guy I know. And I've known him since, he, since I lived, pastored in California. And he since moved to the West Coast. In fact, uh, at one point, he was working in the war room in the White House on cybersecurity. He's that kind of guy. And I called him, and I told him, we were just chatting on the phone, and this is what he said. He said, listen, Mike, <clears throat> he lived up in northern Virginia. He said, I'm going to get in my car at four in the morning. I'll be in your office by nine. We're going to talk this through. And he came, and I just vented and shared and shared my insecurities and my struggles. He said, here's your problem. You thought you knew what you were doing to get it to 3,000. And his point was simply this. God got it to where it is. God will take it to where it needs to be. You just got to trust in him. And I'm telling you, when there's insecurity in our heart, we have to deal with it. I don't normally do this, and I, I felt odd doing it, but I wrote a book, and it's based on a lot of this. It's entitled, You Can't, God Can. And basically, it's like, in your own flesh, you can't do anything. You do have too much baggage. You do have too many imperfections. But when your pride's not in yourself, but in what God is doing in you, it's limitless. It's 100 pages. You can read it before you go to bed. I make them available this weekend. They're 10 bucks at every campus. They're available at all the atrium. You can get it at Amazon. It'll cost you more. I would just encourage you. I think it's, it's, it's a series in itself. But for some of you, you just need to read that to be reminded that your confidence is not in you. Your confidence is in Christ. And it's full of stories of people of hope, but stories in the Bible of how God used screwed up, scarred, messed up people to do amazing things. There's just certain things that he's looking for. And I would encourage you to pick that up. It's, like I said, it's a series in itself. But you gotta have confidence in who you are. You see this when Satan was tempting Jesus in the desert. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. The tempter came to him, Jesus, and said, look at this, if, if you are the son of God. And it's interesting, Jesus didn't respond, what are you talking about? I am the son of God, I promise you I am the son of God. No, you're not, yes I am. No, you're not, yes. no, Jesus didn't get into that. Do you know why Jesus didn't even argue, didn't respond that way? Because Jesus was 100% confident and secure in who he was. He knew he was the son of God. And I'm telling you, this is the same way we deal with our insecurities. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I don't know who you are, Satan, but I'm a son of God. That's how we deal with our insecurities. How do we deal with our pride? We remember where we came from. I love this verse, Moses, this is what it says about Moses, Numbers 12, verse three. Now Moses was a very humble man, look at this, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. This is a guy who parted the Red Sea, got water out of a rock, 
This is the guy that God gave the Ten Commandments, most humble man on the face of the earth. You know what kept Moses humble? I think when he started to get a little full of himself. I think he remembered, oh yeah. I just spent 40 years on the backside of the Sinai Desert taking care of my father-in-law's sheep because I killed a man. That's what I'm capable of. That's what God brought me from. See? Remembering that I'm a child of God deals with my insecurities. Remembering where I came from deals with my pride. Paul wrote this in Titus 3.5, God saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. See? Remembering that I'm a child of God deals with my insecurities. Remembering where I came from, that deals with my pride. And guess what, people? We all got a past, don't we? Including your pastor. God has a dream for your life. He's got a calling. He's got a destiny. But you'll never fulfill it until you deal with your pride. See, he's got plans for a future. But you're going to play a role in whether or not you experience it. Let's pray. God, you're awesome. I'm reminded of lamentations where your mercies are renewed every morning. And your faithfulness is great. It's as if you get up every morning and look at the whiteboard of all of our sins and failures of the previous day and you get that dry eraser and erase it off and say, okay, let's start again. Let's start again. Got some tests we need to pass. Got some things we need to accomplish. But we got to keep moving toward the destiny. I need to clean you up a little bit. You got a little dirty yesterday. But we got to keep moving you towards your destiny. Father, remind us of who we are. Remind us of where we've come from. And trust you. Trust you for the journey. And I'm just going to give you the glory right now for what you're going to do in all of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.